It's gone now? I don't even remember. Is this audio enough to be our intro, or do we need to... Well, the problem is we started... We started in the middle, which included you gulping water. You, like, just, like, hounding water and then also typing. Te- I hit this. <laughs> it's... Tegan, it's not water. What's in... Oh, it's crystal Tegan, it's... Light. It's crystal light. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Okay, I hit it again. Stop hitting it. <laughs> I know. Uh, You're in the hot seat. I am. I'm in the passive seat. It's luxurious. 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 Um, I'm going to cough. I don't know. I truly, I don't know how I'm going to, is this going to be a challenge where I try to get you to say the word without, it'll be like taboo. I try to get you to say the topic without saying the actual topic. Okay. I'm game. Okay. Do you just say a word and I say a word back? Oh, like word association? We could. Okay. Okay. War. <laughs> uh, veteran. Limb. I'm I, like I can use previous clues, right? I can't just yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, veteran limb. Bandage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, injury. Crutches. This is so depressing. (laughs) This was a bad plan. (laughs) Do one more. Do one more. Let's see if I can get it. Um, Wheelchair. (laughs) Paralyzation? Okay, no. The topic today is prosthetics. Oh, my gosh. If you're in a wheelchair, you don't have prosthetics. Um... I'm thinking, <laughs> I was thinking about when you're in the hospital right after oh, you get an amputation. Oh, when, you know, yeah. something really bad. Mm. You say prosthetic and guess what I think of first. What? I can't remember his name, but from Forrest Gump. Oh. Officer Lieutenant Dan. Dan. Lieutenant Dan. What did you say? Officer Dan. Oh, okay. You got Dan right. I got I Dan I vividly right. remember I went to Bubba Gump one time. Oh, me too. <laughs> On a school field trip. Which is, you know, like a shrimp, a shrimp place. A shrimp place. <laughs> The, um, that was derived from the feature film Forrest Gump, which mm-hmm. is not a thing that happens very often. Starring Tom Hanks. And they ask trivia, just like the waiters do for fun, and they were like, okay, what's the Wait, name? wait, wait. When I went with my school, there were too many of us, so they didn't care. Oh, okay. So did, does the waiter, does the waiter, does the waiter come up to you and is like, before you order your appetizers? Okay. Basically... I don't remember what the reward was or if there was one, but she came up and she was like, what is the name of the character that is, that is uh, like, Forrest Gump's best friend? Something mm-hmm. to that effect. And I was like, oh, I know this. I just watched Forrest Gump. And I so confidently said, Captain Jack! <laughs> How old are you? Uh, probably like 10. Well, just a child being 12, like, Captain maybe. Jack! Yeah, and she was like, so... <laughs> Close. It's actually Lieutenant Dan. It is close. But those are the same in my mind. They're cousins. Like those, uh, they're like siblings in my mind. I saw Captain yeah. Jack and Lieutenant yeah. Dan. They're like synonyms for each other. Anyway, Lieutenant Dan does have some amputated legs, but doesn't use prosthetics. Doesn't he at the end? No. But that work. I feel like that's a sign, like of like <laughs> prosthetics in media or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, I. I wanted to talk about prosthetics because I think they're really cool. 
and they interesting. Are. Yeah. So you're going to have to ask me a question about prosthetics, whether or not you want to hear about them. Gun to my head. Yeah. Ask a question about prosthetics. Yeah. I do want to hear about prosthetics. What makes you think I don't? Hey, Becca. Yeah, Tegan. I like how when we do this, the other one doesn't know what you're going to ask. And so you have to sit there and be like, okay, what do I know What's about? What's the answer to this question? What's, like, the just enough information to reveal at the mm-hmm. get-go without being, without, like, Launching spoiling? into the episode. Yeah, spoiling yeah. the whole thing. Okay, let me do it again. Hey, Becca. Yeah, Tegan. When did prosthetics come to be? Probably ancient Egypt. It always is ancient Egypt, isn't it's all, it? It's always ancient Egypt. Can you be more specific? Yes, I can. Welcome to Be More Specific, a podcast where an entomologist me. and a film student, me, walk into a podcast and walk out with a question answered. I'm Becca. And I'm Tegan. Shibuya. Shibuya. That's a, that's a crossing in Japan. Shibuya. Really? I thought it was just like Shibuya. Like a thing people say. I mean, they're probably not related at all. Yeah. I like it when I like saying cow a bummer, dude. I think that's Is funny. That from something? Um, I don't think so. Is it? It's like what did Jenny said something about or no, it was in our one of our last episodes I was editing and you were like, So I'm an orphan and I went, Cow a bummer, dude. <laughs> funny. That was really funny. So I am not meaning, I like, I don't think this is going to be a depressing episode. Obviously, it is a tragedy when people lose their limbs. Mm-hmm. That's a really difficult thing that people have to go through. And we both, full disclosure, don't know what that's like. We have all of them. We do have all of our limbs. Um, but like prosthetics are medicine. Like, mm-hmm. And I, I just, I really wanted to talk about them. Well, and I think it's one of those things where it's like the more you know about something, the more like empathy you can have. Yeah. I, can, I felt that way. Um, no, I'm excited. I don't think this. I, think, I, I don't want to be problematic. I don't want to be like bears where I'm like, yeah, like so hyped. I feel like that would be. Um, right. I want to have like the exact right amount of interest and respect. Yeah. Well, and well, OK. I have something interesting. Yeah. There's this idea that one of the first signs of humans living in societies and like humanity, meaning like a uh, population going together for the greater, greater good. One of the first like times we noticed that in the fossil record is there was a person who they found they found their you know skeleton they found a fossil mm-hmm. and they had had a broken femur mm-hmm. and that broken femur had been set. Oh yeah, so, so the, even I, when they weren't going to be useful they to were, the clan, they were like kept alive and given medicine and mm-hmm. someone like hunted for them. It wasn't we weren't animals anymore, you yeah. know. No, and that's so really interesting. I think the idea of healing is beautiful. And if someone loses a whole leg, it's nice to be like, they're still worth hey, look, while. You, and if you probably, I don't, you might want to walk. Do you want to try? Like, here's the thing you can use. That's cool. Yeah. Last night, me, my sisters, and my cousin Hannah yeah. were all talking about how we hate the whole, like, oh, I don't have depression. I'm a person with depression thing. Or, or, or I'm not depressed. I'm a person with depression. And I'm not autistic. I'm a person with autism. Yeah. And the thing we came to was like, if the condition is forever, you pretending like I'm someone without it makes me feel like a part of myself is so disgusting to you that you don't want to refer to me as having it because it lessens me. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Like when there's all this stuff where it's like people are like, well, you're someone with an eating disorder. And it's like, okay, so you want it to go away because it's not going to. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or the difference between like handicapped and differently abled. Where yeah. I like I can't speak for everyone. That's also a, a thing is like people are not monoliths. Yeah, obviously. So 
I, I feel like I'm being so morose. I'm not trying to be. No, I think it's good to set this at the top to say, okay. like, hey, this isn't like a joke. Yeah. And disabilities exist. Yeah. And it's crazy which disabilities we've decided are fine and which ones we make zero accommodations for. Or right. the bare minimum. Right. Shout out to every BYU elevator. When my, like, ankle was, like, wrapped and I was, like, trying to get on campus, there was a point where I got to the LSB and I was like, there's no way for me to get inside this building without climbing stairs. At least a flight. There are ramps. Not if, so if you're trying to get in from the first floor to the second floor, there are no ramps besides going all the way around to the, to the big ramp on the side of campus. Mm -hmm. Because there's an elevator at the base of the LSB. But if you go into the parking garage, there's a flight of stairs before the elevator that goes first to fourth. Oh. There's only one elevator for that parking garage, and it goes down all the time. Hmm. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll call Desert and have him drive me up to the... Because I, like, at that point, I, like, I just couldn't do stairs. I was... Yeah. It was too weak, and I was like... Don't have it, have not. So yeah. I sent an email, and it was fixed <laughs> the next day. <laughs> Good. Yeah, disability is... That, that's the thing about disability that is interesting where disability is is i think a description of like the world yes. more so than it is of a person yes 100%. where in the world we live in there are certain conditions that are disabilities yeah and there are that certain mean that conditions you like of... can't interact with the world the way other most people can so well i'm sure you've seen the things that are like oh if you have glasses you're handicapped like you require an assistive aid to do a normal thing. Yeah. I mean, that's technically true. But yeah. society doesn't care. Let's talk about prosthetics. Yeah. So the etymology of prosthetics. Not entomology. <laughs> Not the entomology The termites that live in prosthetics. <laughs> in every prosthetic. Actually, every prosthetic has a cricket that tells you the things that you should or should not do. Oh, that would be lovely. Uh, every, have... every human has a cricket. You just haven't found yours yet. Mm-hmm. So... It comes from ancient Greek. It comes from the ancient Greek prosthetikos, which means adding or giving additional power. And then, I mean, that that's what prosthesis means. It just does means that mean, additional. Does that, like a mecca? Because it, it's given you additional power. Uh, so, if you're going strictly by the ancient use of the term prosthetic, I am. I am. <laughs> then, sure. Uh, Voltron is a prosthetic. The the robot, the Voltron robot is uh -huh. a prosthetic. Yeah. Good. Well, and I wasn't meaning to bring this up at the beginning of uh, the Sorry. of the conversation, but there is a conversation to be had about transhumanism and when we stop being people. Yeah. I don't have I don't any have more strong to opinions. say on it than that. I do not know enough about transhumanism. I could be I could be convinced of AI rights easily, so I think I could be convinced of transhuman rights easily. Yeah. Well. And transhumanism is interesting because there are fully abled people who there's like conversation about fully abled people getting prosthetics mm -hmm. in order to increase their power, basically. Like the chips in the arms and stuff? Chips in the arms and... Oh, the height lengthening stuff? Where they height like lengthening add rods? stuff. Mm -hmm. <gasps> like Gattaca. A movie I should watch. You haven't seen Gattaca? No. It's good. Which is wild because I work a lot with DNA. Yeah. And like... It's a good genome movie. ethics, but you know. Yeah, so transhumanism is fine. We don't stop being humans when we add stuff. I don't know. Hot take of be more specific. So I mean, that's given the one Wikipedia article I read on transhumanism. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Which it does not describe like a for or against, but I think mm. I'm 
I like I'm not that concerned about the state of human consciousness right now. I truly I think the thing I always come to is I don't think being human is special enough to exclude people from the definition. And people can just consciousnesses. I don't think like if an AI is smart enough, sure. Whatever. I don't know how you test it, but there is probably going to be a point where we have to have that conversation. Mm. Oh yeah. At what point is there I feel like pain is part of it. I feel like if you can feel pain, then you're like you're a a a, th- a person. We don't have to keep this in. Do you know how they keep Chat GPT from going out of line? Hmm. They legitimately like have told it, if you make X number of mistakes, you are being turned off. Mm-hmm. Like its motivation, psychological is, torture. Its motivation is purely fear to do what it's doing. That's terrifying. That's yeah. bad. I think. Have you seen the thing where it's like, <laughs> sci-fi writer, I created a torment nexus, and then it's like, a torment nexus, a sign of what we should not do, and then it was like, a capitalist. Good news, everyone, we created the torment nexus that you all love so much. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know. I, we talked about this on liter, like, I, philosophy, I don't know. I, what, what I do know is the history of prosthetics. Yeah, so, so we're th- back, so uh, the Greeks for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, no, the Greeks did use prosthesis, but... Let's talk the very first instance of any type of prosthesis that is in written history is from an entry in the Rig Veda, which is the ancient Indian collection of Vedic Sanskrit hymns that, like, it's a sacred text in Hinduism, basically. And it's thousands, around, what, 5,000 years old? That's a solid place to have a reference. <laughs> yeah. So it stated that during a battle with a neighboring territory, Queen Vishpala received a blow that amputated one of her legs. After a time, having healed, she was fitted with an iron leg in order to be able to return to the battlefield in defense of her kingdom once more. Yo, that's metal. It, <laughs> literally. Thank you. You said iron leg and my brain was like, you got yeah, until probably only like 300 years, maybe 400 years ago, most historical instances of prosthetics, they were used to treat injuries that came as a result of war or battle, oh. and the prosthetics were used to get them back into fighting condition to fight once more. Whoa. Like that it, was so the, it wasn't like, oh, I have a disease and they had to cut off my leg. Yeah, like I'm sure that happened, but that is not... Well, it makes sense that it's like a, especially, I feel like the the farther back you go, the more it's like courage, courage, bravery, bravery. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because there's, there's plenty of birth defects that one can have yeah. that would now necessitate or like recommend the use of a prosthesis. Mm-hmm. But I think in ancient history, it was more like, if you're born that way, you're born that way. The only mm-hmm. reason we would use a prosthesis is to get someone back to the way they were. Well, there's still people who they're born and like religions that don't allow that use. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then the first physical evidence of a prosthesis is a big toe belonging to a noblewoman in Egypt and dated to around 950 B.C. Did she attach it, like, to her foot or was it, like, a thing in the shoe to just make it look like? It was attached to her foot using leather. But the reason a big toe is important in Egypt is because of sandals. Yeah, yeah. Like, you had... To have a... You don't have to. You're right. Like, they could have made different sandals that went between your other toes, but... Oh, I didn't even think about it. It's just like a... I was like, oh, but, like, aesthetically. Yeah, but aesthetically, sandals were also important, and toes were also important. And there are... There is also, I believe, another toe in Egypt that was found, but this one is purely ornamental. Like, it's wooden, and it doesn't have leather attached to it. It's, like, an aesthetic thing, which there's also some interesting differentiations between aesthetic prosthetics. Mm Mm-hmm. And functional prosthetics. Mm-hmm. And just, like, depending on the person and what they want, yeah. you, you, you know, go either way. It's like the, yeah, no, it makes sense. 
history is so hard to teach. I'm not yes. going to be telling you every single instance yes. of a prosthetic in history. I'm going to tell you some of the greatest hits. Good. All right? Yeah. And this is mostly drawn from a book called The History of Prosthesis. Ooh. Um, and then an essay that kind of took m- that book and just, you know, shrunk it down for me, mm. which was very helpful and took lots of notes. And then I read a bunch of, like, articles that I just, it's so funny to see the essay where Wikipedia got all of its information, you know? Okay. That's- where I was, like, referring back and forth and I was like, this is the same. This is how history is made. Yeah. It's like, it's like in movies, most of the greatest films of all time are offered by the Criterion Collection. And that's simply because... I mean, also, the Criterion Collection has, like, lots of great curators. Mm. That's great. But also, pure access. If you have access to a movie, then you're going to watch it, and then that's going to be at the top of your brain. Yeah. And it's going to be at the top of the people's brains who are making these lists. Well, I had, in Snowman, we discovered every article was about the one book that was written. Mm -hmm. And then in Lichens, which I don't know if that's coming up after or before. Probably after. But probably. On the Wikipedia page, there was a quote. That was kind of a crazy fact. Mm-hmm. And I had to go to our like to the scientists that we have on campus and be like, is this real? I can't find any citation. And every other website uses the same sentence. Mm-hmm. Like and there and then he was able to provide me with actual papers. But like Wikipedia didn't have a citation. Well, yeah, and everyone just copied it. Even the Internet is not the full extent of human knowledge. Especially it's all borrowing not. from it. Yeah each other and itself. Yeah. It's really interesting. But I still, I think these are pretty solid sources. <laughs> no, I, I support you. And I mean, I like that you said the best hits. I feel like with wigs, I tried to... Yeah. Uh, to be fair, there are a lot of greatest hits. <laughs> Yay. So the next one I'm going to talk about is the Capua leg, which was an artificial leg dating to around 300 BC, which was unearthed at Capua, Italy in 1858. It was made of bronze and iron with a wooden core, apparently for a below knee amputee. Interesting. So that's like the earliest big <laughs> prosthetic yeah. that we found. I don't know why I was like, I for some reason thought the iron, like the metal would be on the inside like a bone. Well, that's how that's how prosthetics are now. They're, but they did the reverse where they were like, oh, the soft bit inside. Yeah, I guess you're right. Like, I wonder if the metal in the out, like, was it another warrior thing? I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, if mm. it was, they were just borrowing from, like, armor as inspiration. You're probably right. Um, but, yeah, now it's interesting because metal only really comes into play for, like, stru- like structural soundness. Because it's mostly poly- polycarbonate, right? Yeah, it's, like, mostly plastic. Yeah. Um, but then the, especially for leg amputees, the pylon will be, will be made of metal. But well, I guess you're putting weight on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something that's interesting about the Capua leg is that it was an important historical artifact that was destroyed during World War II in an air raid in mm. London. Just like so many things. <laughs> yeah. There are also accounts from Greek and Roman times. For instance, there's the historical account of Marcus Sergius, which was around 200 BC. And he was a Roman general who lost his right hand while battling in the Second Punic War. And he famously had a replacement hand fashioned out of iron for the purpose of holding his shield. So he was able to return to fighting. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I wonder how many of these had articulation. None of them. Yeah. It was just like something to lean on, basically. Something to lean on. And hold your shield. Hold your shield. Like very simple. Interesting, yeah. Stiff, thick. And man, it's all the like what gets remembered is so interesting. Right. Did you ever have to read the book Johnny Tremaine? 
No, I don't think so. I had to read it in middle, in like elementary school, and it's about the Revolutionary War. And Johnny Tremaine is a character who his hand was burned and mm. like it fused together. Mm. And in the end, the like resolution was that they were able to perform surgery so that his hand worked just well enough to hold a gun. So he wow. could fight in the Revolutionary War. And I didn't realize how loaded that book is. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Just reminds me a little bit of that, where, like, the only reason for a body to exist is to fight. Like, you are a weapon. Yeah. Uh, prosthetic technology remained largely the same from its conception through the Dark Ages. They would be crude attachments made of wood or iron and attached with leather. Mm-hmm. Not fully, art- not even slightly articulated for most of this time. Um, and pretty much... Throughout history, peg legs and hooks do appear. They are not exclusively pirate fare. Mm. And also not that many pirates had peg legs and hooks. It wasn't like every other. It wasn't like every other. Yeah, it makes it was, sense. It was some of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was during the Dark Ages that depictions... Well, I guess if you're fighting with swords and cannonballs, it tracks that that would be... Yeah, like you're, yeah. you might, and people you still might use a limb hooks. replacement. People yeah. still use hooks. Hooks are still helpful. I mean, it makes sense. It's a very versatile. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. in and like in my mind, opening a door. Right, yeah. and unless you're like a millionaire, you're probably not going to get one of the cutting edge. Yeah, like articulated hand prosthetics. Mm-hmm. So a hook can get most of what you need to get done mm-hmm. without the massive cost, which we'll talk about. Um. Uh, even a peg leg or a hand hook was a luxury for the wealthy to help with daily functions. Dang. Yeah. So then the next thing I have is that in 1508, German mercenary Gotts van Berlichingen. Good name. <laughs> Good name. Had a pair of technologically advanced iron hands made after he lost his right arm in the Battle of Landshut. Wait, the- pair? Yeah. Oh, oh, no. So it wasn't, he wasn't putting them on both hands. He just, he made both of them so he could, like, switch them out. Oh, that's cool. In case one, yeah. I do that with phone cases. So these hands could be manipulated by setting them with the natural hand and moved by relaxing a series of releases and springs while being suspended with leather straps. So you can control one hand with, like, your other body parts just the way you move. And that was, like, one of the very first instances of using, like... Other uh, motion. Releases and stuff like that. Other motion to approximate. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. French army barber slash, slash surgeon. And bra- <laughs> I love that part of history where we were like, oh, you use razors? So you just, you're just like, uh, like an all razors guy? Yeah. Like any, any utilization of knives you're solid on? Yeah. And I actually don't know how to say this French name, but Ambroise <laughs> Paré. That's Ambroise. Ambroise. That's how you'd say it in Uh, Italian, apparently. Ambroise Paré is considered by many to be the father of modern amputation surgery and prosthetic design. Oh, okay. He invented a mechanical hand as well as prosthetic legs that featured advances such as locking knees and specialized Mm. attachment harnesses. So it's kind of, it can be hard to visualize some of this stuff, so I would recommend looking it up. We can post the pictures We can on. post pictures. And also just in terms of, like, mechanical engineering, it's it, it's not leaps and bounds for most of this. It's mm-hmm. just tiny improvements tiny on the design. Tiny improvements on a, on a pretty simple design. and Like evolution? Just like evolution. Okay, we're, we're good. I think Are every episode. <laughs> every episode. Yeah, I'm just going to sit here silently. And I'm going to talk about a Russian film theorist every episode, so... 
There are two wolves in this podcast studio. Uh, oh no, the wolves! And then, um, and for many years, it was actually watchmakers who would be the ones to elaborate on the design Ooh, of prosthetics because they were so familiar with like gears and mm-hmm. connections and stuff like that. So a colleague of Perret's named Laurent was a French locksmith. That's not a watchmaker. But he offered one of the most important contributions to the field when he used leather, paper, and glue instead of heavy iron in making a prosthesis. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That tracks. Okay, we're almost done with the history. We've got some more stuff, though. In 1800... A... No, this is... I'm having fun. You don't have to apologize. <laughs> okay. In 1800, a Londoner named James Potts designed a prosthesis made of a wooden shank and socket. This was the first instance... I mean, it's not the first instance of a socket because... We had to use them for, like, pistons and stuff. What do you mean? A socket? Like a thing that fits in another thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it probably like wasn't, the first, it wasn't the first instance of a socket in prosthetics either, because fundamentally, prosthetics, like, have sockets. Yeah. Which is just where your... Or, Points of articulation, right? Well, no, a socket is where your organic part fits into the prosthetic part. Got it. Okay. Um, and that is a term that's still used today and is used in, like, practically all prosthetics. It's just, like, it's the connection point. Oh, but the reason that Potts prosthesis was so interesting is that it did have a steel knee joint and an articulated foot that was controlled by catgut tendons from knee to the ankle. And catgut is... Wait, like the gut of a cat? It's Yes, effectively. It is a type of cord that is prepared from the natural fiber found in the walls of animal intestines. Mm. And it is still used in some instances. It's used primarily for sutures because it can, like, dissolve. Oh, okay. Um, and it's used in, like, plastic and oral surgery. It is not used in prosthetics anymore. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I feel like this this was an important leg because it had the first simulated tendons. It would become known as the Inglesy leg after the Marquis of Inglesy, who mm. lost his leg in the Battle of Waterloo. And, and he wore one, I'm guessing. And, and he wore the leg, yeah. Like a model? Yeah, except William Selfo would later bring this leg to the U.S. in 1839, where it became known as the Selfo leg. Oh, so he just so wore the two same names. one? I, I believe so. I believe it's all the same leg. And I guess that's something that's interesting about prosthetics is that, I mean, nowadays they can't really be used by multiple people because mm-hmm. they are so sculpted yeah. to one person, like just so exactly. But back then, they weren't that specific about it. And multiple yeah. people could use the same object. You could even say that they they needed to be more specific. They should have been more specific. They should, we should all be more specific. Yeah. And then in 1846, Benjamin Palmer elaborated on the design even more by adding an anterior spring, so in the front, to help with cushioning, and a smooth appearance, and it concealed tendons to simulate natural-looking movement. Ooh, okay. So it's... Also, the it wasn't ascent- steampunk. <laughs> yeah, it was not steampunk. You're making me realize how many bodies I, are crazy. Well, I took an so I took anatomy, yeah. and the point where I quit because it was hard was when we started like learning the names of all the muscles in the human face, of which there are many. Mm-hmm. But I did the leg portion, and um, at one point, so the BYU anatomy uh, department has like department the BYU anatomy class has like access to full cadavers Mm -hmm. and also partial cadavers Mm -hmm. so I was able to study the muscles of the human leg like on on someone's leg that Mm -hmm. had been prepared 
and I had to carry it from one side of the classroom to the other at one point. Wow. Just to, like, get to my workstation. They were like, okay, get your leg out of the bin and then move to your station. Yeah. And they're very, I will say, they're very respectful, more so than other college campuses. They're very, like, purposeful and, like, every class we would, like, talk about the people who had donated their bodies to science. And, like, some of them we knew their names and, like, their histories, um, whether if usually if it was relevant. Mm Mm-hmm. But the leg I carried belonged to a bodybuilder. The wow. weight of this leg. Yeah. And there's so much going on. They like they would cut some muscles so you could see underneath and whatnot. Yeah. But just like, I don't know. I feel like when I was a kid, it was like, oh, there's different kinds of sockets and hinges in your body. And there's four and that's it is like the knee is crazy. And so it's really cool to watch people like almost like figure it out. Through mm-hmm. mechanics. Yeah. Legs are wild. The body is wild. Yeah, it is wild. Uh, I, I can't even. It's so, like, so much of it is just, well, like, and so flexion much pro- and release and. Yeah, and yeah. so much of prosthetic, like, design is just trying to. To approximate. Trying to approximate what bodies already do, just, mm-hmm. like, naturally. So it's super interesting. The aesthetic development also of prosthetics is really interesting because. At first, it was very utilitarian, mm-hmm. and then it they tried to approximate visually human bodies, mm-hmm. and now it's kind of swung back around a little bit. Where, depending on the person, like there are a lot of oh the ones there are a lot of prosthetics that are very intentionally not like humans. <laughs> the ones that are used for like running, yeah, those are blades. Yeah, yeah, they're really cool. They're very cool, um, and it looks like it'd be fun to jump. <laughs> It's kind of fun to jump already. Yeah. I, I don't do it that, as much as I should. That, um, the, like, Olympic runner who used the blades to run, there were tons of, like, exercise science studies done on him. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, like, one study said that 25% less energy was expended using those wow. legs, something like that. Yeah. But he was still allowed to compete. Mm. So I don't necessarily know if that study is completely accurate. Yeah. But there certainly is a difference in the way that a body operates with blades did versus he, legs. Did he win? I don't, I don't know. think so. Okay. I th- he just competed. I'm sort of of the opinion, just like why not let people compete who want to compete? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That might be an unpopular opinion, but I don't think it's an offensive one. I feel like I, I don't think I disagree. We're just so, like, it's weird I think we should with be sports. Al- we're all like, oh, it needs to be fair. It needs to be fair. But, like, at the end of the day, like, how much money you have and ultimately nothing, decides. Yeah, nothing is fair. No. no, Nothing. Nothing's ever been fair. Ever. Yeah. There's Yeah, there's so many factors that go into it. The American Civil War was the next hastening of the development. Jeez. Okay, so we got revolutionary. Things. Did that already happen? No. Well, we didn't really. Even the Revolutionary War wasn't that important. Like Oh, prosthetics-wise. Pros- <laughs> in general. <laughs> period. So prosthetics-wise, it was mainly like most of this development was being done in Europe anyway. And oh, it was. Okay. I was thinking of that book. Yeah, the book Johnny Tremaine that I mentioned for no reason. Yeah, Civil War kind of. There were so many amputees out of the Civil War. Wasn't it? Wasn't it something about the advent of shotguns? Oh, probably. Made, yeah, made injuries And the Civil worse. War was just, like, such it was a bloody, bloody one. Yeah. So many people died in the Civil War. Well, it's when you have the closer in contact two countries are, the more deaths, usually. Oh, yeah, and that makes sense. And also, like, weapons were getting better and medicine was getting better so that, you know, losing a leg wasn't a death sentence anymore. Yeah. So um, that was when things sped up even more. There is a notable 
prosthetic called the Hanger Limb, which was created by J.E. Hanger, and his prosthetic company he founded still exists today. Ooh, okay. Go Hanger. Go Hanger. And then the next watershed events that hastened the, hastened the development of prosthetics were the World Wars. Mm. Well, actually, mainly World War II. World War I wasn't that big. A- according to this article, World War I didn't hasten the development as much. I mean, maybe it was just good enough at the time or something. Yeah, I really don't know. And then the Vietnam War was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Well, that's kind of... I feel like in a lot of the media I consume that involves the Vietnam War, like, there is always someone without a limb in Mm -hmm. some fashion. Yeah, totally. And a big part of the reason, I think, too, that the World Wars were important is that veterans were dissatisfied with the lack of technology in their devices and they complained about it. They demanded improvement mm-hmm. and then governments actually responded. There oh, was good. there was okay. governmental research into prosthetics. Into prosthetics in a way that there never had been before, specifically mm-hmm. World War II. So that's interesting. And then since then development has been relatively steady with independent research and government funding. Yeah. And universities and stuff like that. I don't I don't actually know how big the prosthetic business is. I think now it is closely tied with just technology. Yeah, I see it and, often. Yeah, highlighted. and AI and stuff like that, yeah. where a lot of the technologies from other from like other places inform um, prosthetic technology. Like AP uh, HP is pretty involved in yeah. making like computer chips for a type of prosthetic that we're going to talk about a little There's, later. I saw it there. So I follow some people on TikTok who have prosthetics and either it's like thirst straps essentially with mm-hmm. like, look how cool my leg is, you know, mm-hmm. or there's one where uh, they have a fully articulated, like basically robot arm. Yeah. That like is controlled. And I don't know how it's controlled. I think it's uh, like buttons on the other hand or something. Oh, that's one. Yeah, that's one method. But it got locked. Well, he was pulling out a drawer. Oh, and he was stuck because there was no the automatic release wasn't working on the arm. Yeah, and he talked a lot about the cost and how like the companies sometimes you will get a prosthetic and then like it's kind of radio silence when it comes to like customer support essentially. Right, and it leads to people being in like and, pretty like, dangerous yeah. yeah situations. Yeah, that and makes total sense. Thankfully, he had like I think I think it was like a partner was living with him and took the drawer like out mm-hmm. but they had to wait until they could figure out a way to get the arm to release because he's just stuck just holding the drawer that's so interesting and and the prosthetic he had was like attached to him he couldn't take the prosthetic off i think there's something something to do with how the mechanism to like quick release made it so it also couldn't be removed oh very interesting yeah yeah i mean there are things that are definitely scary about the uh well the involvement of technology yeah. with human sentient organisms mm-hmm. and i i'll t- i'll have so much technology to talk about in a minute but um in terms of just like terminology how mm. prosthetics work but we have the anterior spring just kidding most most prosthetics no longer make use of the anterior spring Ugh. it's a it's a shame <laughs> rip anterior spring so you will <laughs> never be forgotten here are some terms there is <laughs> sorry <laughs> you're like here are some terms. <laughs> you know, I'm, I always get so down to business when it's my episodes. Yeah. I just, I'm just reading from my document. I do. Whenever it's your episode, I feel a bit like the class clown, but it's my job to be annoying. I know. I feel the same way. That I'm a class clown or that I'm annoying no, or that feel, you feel I like feel annoying clown. when it's your episode. Mainly I feel stupid when it's your I episode. I think it's, that's so funny that we're both like 
perfectionists when it comes to school. And so when one of us like has information, the other one's like, quick, tell it to me. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's why we're friends. I, I learned so much. I'm learning. We both put our arms straight out. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about transtibial amputation. Okay. So these are known as BKs, below knee in in the industry, BK amputation. So this this refers to people who have undergone uh, an amputation which retains the knee joint. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, below knee amputation. And for these amputees, the major challenge is replacing the foot and the ankle. Whatever joints are involved. Like, that's a tough one. And what's interesting about this is that ankles are far less straightforward than one might expect. Yes. I'm sure you know <laughs> at this point, but shout, I didn't. Shout out to my horrible, horrible ankle. You're horrible. Well, I guess we've all experienced it where our ankles should just work and they just twist in crazy ways because and they're, they're able to. the same. They're never the same. And the fa- they're able to be twisted in crazy ways. And I can still use it. I'm just like, it gets swollen, but it's... Right. And it, it's yeah. just, it's not an up-down situation. Mm-hmm. Our feet adjust to different and uneven surfaces, like in minute ways yeah. all the time. And the ability of the foot to feel position and surface and the sensation of the foot's relation to the ground is called proprioception. I think I've heard, I've heard like barefoot runners say that running barefoot is better because you're more like in tune with that. That might, that might be true. <laughs> they might have experienced that. Maybe, yeah. I feel like it's one of those things that, unless you do it a lot, it's not something that you notice. Yeah. But, like, their, you know, their perception has just become so attuned. Have you ever been hiking and you're slipping a ton and you're getting really frustrated, especially in, like, stream beds or whatever? Mm-hmm. So you just take your shoes off? Yeah. Like, oh, I totally. F- that happens... Whenever we hike up to the, there's a swimming hole in Wyoming that we hike to. Yeah. And every time I'm like, this time I'm gonna wear my shoes. And every time I'm like, I don't know where my feet are. Your yeah, your sh- your feet are better. Yeah, at they have hiking jo- than your shoes are. They're be- they're good. They do a job. Yeah. Um. And so without a foot and ankle, proprioception is lost along with the sense of positioning and shock mm. absorption. Oh, so the geez. partial foot amputation preserves a little bit of the ability, but with a transtibial amputation, all is lost. That's so dramatic, but <laughs> all of that is lost. So the construction of a prosthesis for like just below torso stuff in particular depends so much on function. Yeah. Um. You're going to get a fair number of hand prosthesis prostheses that are just like aesthetically look like hands Mm -hmm. but that's less the case of legs just because (laughs) you can walk without your hands but you can't walk without your legs you know (laughs) and walking's often quite important because our society's decided you need to be able to do it right exactly um have you ever read what's his name i think it's josh lundquist i don't think so his name is josh sundquist not lundquist he's uh he identifies as an amputee uh, often in his books. Wait, I think I have... He's, like, also a comedian, isn't he? He's a comedian, and he does, like... He works out like crazy. Like, he's super buff. Mm-hmm. I think he has one above-knee ampu- amputation. I think so, yeah. He's really cool. He does, like, inspirational comedic speeches. And he also has a book about, like... It's about, like, finding love, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's about how he met his wife, and it's really cute. It's kind of, like, corny. Yeah. But he talks a lot about the discomfort of his uh, his prosthetic and how he would often go in wheelchairs, but then wouldn't would be like denied access to places because he wasn't wearing his prosthetic. And we we get angry because it like it hurts to yeah. wear. Yeah. 
and but like he had to, but he doesn't want to. And yeah, yeah. no, that makes total sense. He's also pretty funny. He is pretty funny, and he, he has funny Halloween costumes every year. Yeah, <laughs> he dressed up as the leg from uh, from Christmas Story once with his single leg. It's so good, and he can he kind of like he hops good as well. Mm-hmm. He's just really buff, and he'll use like crutches. Yeah, it he, makes sense to have many different methods methods so that you're not like hurting yourself by doing mm-hmm. one of these things over and over and over. Totally. So. uh... Prosthetic legs. That's a tough one. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so the legs have to serve as substitutes for a major part of the patient's body. So typically a strong and durable but lightweight material such as carbon fiber covered with a foam padding or flesh-colored plastic is preferred for the construction of a prosthetic. Okay, yeah. Um, The weight of the limbs is a super important factor. Legs typically amount to around 30 to 40 percent of a person's total body weight while the arms only amount to about 10%. So legs, also the weight of leg of prosthetic legs is hugely mm-hmm. important. That would explain why that leg was so heavy. <laughs> if it yeah. was a bodybuilder? Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, if that's a 300-pound man. My gosh, the thigh. That's, like, that's going to be like 80 pounds. The yeah. size of like the thigh muscles? I, I bet. Crazy. I was like, that's not what my thighs look like. Um, and just in terms of like percentages, the... Energy expenditure of the patient would be way higher in moving prosthetic legs that weighed as much as natural ones. Mm-hmm. Because, well, if you're not able to push off with your foot, mm-hmm. it makes sense that you would lose. Yeah, that's the thing with like that's one of the things with prosthetics is just energy expenditure just raises so much. So you're trying because to make it the is most not already attached like efficient. Yeah, it needs to it be it needs to be light and it needs to be structurally sound and it needs to be comfortable. Currently available prosthetic foot designs can be divided into two classes, which are articulated, mm. the ones with moving joints, and non-articulated, which are much cheaper. Yeah. And there is a lot of talk about cost, obviously. Um, articulated limbs are going to cost more. And mm. so kind of the prosthetic limbs that a lot of people in like developing countries mm. kind of get stuck with non-articulated limbs. It happens with glasses, too. Yeah. It's just kind of... Yeah. The way it is. There are plenty of charities. I will link some charities, I think, below this episode to contribute to prosthetic funds because they are truly just unattainable for many people. Yeah. Uh, then there's also transfemoral amputation, known as AK or above knee amputations. Mm. So basically, the more that you have to remove from your body, the harder it is to create a prosthetic that works. Well, you have more and more joints yep, to approximate. That's, that's the biggest thing. Replacing the human knee is an ongoing challenge and one that is yet to be fully addressed since the beginning of modern prosthetics. Mm. These prosthetics can be classified into two distinct types based on the mode of control of the swing and stance phases of gait, G-A-I-T. So, yeah, yeah, when you're walking, there's a stance phase where your legs are straight. I'm thinking about standing, could you tell? (laughs) Yeah, and then uh, there's the swing phase where you have to move your leg back well, you have to move your leg back and then forward, bending your knee mm-hmm. in order to get to stance again, and then you switch your legs off, and that's how you walk. I've seen people talk about this, but in the context of making believable, like, video game models. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, because if you launch into, like, the walk animation too fast, it looks super unnatural. Shout out to GTA. But if it's... You have to, like, amp up to it, essentially. Yeah, well, and also... 
walking and running has been something that is like historically difficult for people to figure out. The entire reason, mm-hmm. basically, that we have film is because a Stanford professor named Edward Moybridge mm-hmm. made a bet that when a horse is running, there's always at least one limb on the ground, mm-hmm. which isn't true. Is not true. There's that's actually the difference between a walk and a run. <laughs> yeah, is whether or not you always have one limb on the ground. But yeah, Mybridge he decided to set up a bunch of cameras in a row to test this bed out, and it became moving pictures. That's so cool. With these transfemoral amputations, you have all of the same issues that you have with the transtibial amputations, but you also have to deal with the complex human knee. Mm. And the human knee is in charge of walking because of the way it regulates the swing and stance phase. Mm. Because your your knee basically locks and unlocks depending at what phase of walking you're in. And there are two ways that... Uh, and it's shock absorption, right? And like energy exactly. dispersal and all that junk. Exactly. So two, there are two methods of prosthetic knees. There's non-microprocessor, and these use mechanical hinges hmm. that... Or sometimes it uses hydraulics in order to regulate... Cool. In, in order to regulate this hinge, because it's all about friction. The difference between the swing and... Stance. stance phases of your gait depends a lot on the friction of your joints. I mean, that track. And so these non-microprocessor knees will use a mechanical hinge that vary your friction just depending on like how much angle? friction it already feels and okay. how and what, what the angle is like. Microprocessor prosthetics use some form of computer chips that will take data from mm. from your walk in order to adjust accordingly. How much friction to put on the hinge. Interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. So they are used to control the resistance generated by hydraulic cylinders in the knee joint. Small valves control the amount of hydraulic fluid that can pass into and out of the cylinder, thus regulating the extension and compression of a piston connected to the upper section of the knee. That's really cool. You might have that's to listen back to that a few times, but that's all correct. So we'll get there. You'll get there. We'll get there. Um, I wonder how many knee injuries, at the core of it, it comes down to you have too much or too little friction. Because I know with, like, gout, you have too much because there's crystals Yeah. that cause pain. Oh, that's interesting. And then Desert, he hurt his knee really bad mm-hmm. um, when we, like, first met on his... He gets, he gets too much uh, friction... When he's, like, walking, basically. And then also it gets, like, loose sometimes. Yeah. And when he's standing, it it doesn't, like, support his weight properly. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It happens more when it gets cold. It's really annoying. He's got a, he's got a bum knee. Can, can he know? Does he know when it's about to rain? Um, He knows when it's about to snow. And I've... So my ankle, I don't think it's going to be, like, a permanent issue. His problem was uh, he wasn't able to take care of it right away. But... With my with my ankle, it's not like permanent, but I can definitely like when it gets cold, my ankle aches. It hurts yeah, so it's bad, common. and that makes sense if there's like I think in it's terms like of just pressure like, yeah, pressure, yeah. fluid, friction. Like there's so many things that go into it, and that would also make sense why at different elevations. I just I didn't realize how much like friction had to do with yeah, your and how much of it is just yeah literal physics, literal mechanics, and they're just. Our bodies are so complex mechanically mm-hmm. in a way that I've never considered <laughs> before I researched yeah. this. I personally try to think about my body as little as possible 
But I think I have a better view of it now than I did before researching this because you're kind of like a robot. I'm kind of like a robot. And isn't that great? It is great. Uh, And my body basically works like I can walk. And it's interesting to think about like so much of why I might trip is just because my leg didn't extend quite far enough. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with the swing phase of my gait. How much of me being clumsy is because my gait is bad? A significant It's probably a lot. Yeah. (laughs) When you trip on nothing. So obviously microprocessors are also more expensive. Mm. And then there are the transpelvic amputations where they take your whole leg and you don't even have like a pelvic joint. They have to put a new pelvic joint in. That is the... That is the type that Josh Sundquist has. Yeah. yeah. And these are particularly difficult because in... There's no pendulum. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, like there's no point from which to swing on if you lost your pelvic. That's true. And if and there are attempts to put basically a point back in. They'll put a joint back in mm. just like you would with your knee joint or your yeah. ankle joint. But whereas you can put your knee joint and your ankle joint exactly where they were before, mm-hmm. you can't do that with a pelvic joint because it's soft tissue. Oh. So they have to move it like three or four inches over. So then your gait is all different. Yeah. Whoa. So you can't walk like you have to probably, I'm assuming you have to relearn how to how to walk. Basically, yeah. Wow. It's it's just like trying to approximate it, but like you can't even use the blueprint. Yeah. You're trying to like do it, do it, but you can't. Different, like the structure the is different. Yeah. yeah. So that's really interesting. And, and skeletons are crazy. They are so crazy. There's a skeleton. There's two skeletons in this room. Full skeletons. That's crazy. It's crazy. Okay, I really, I have so much. So I'm sorry. No, it's good. I can't see the timer, so that might be part of the problem. That's part of the problem. Okay, so then typical procedure of getting a prosthetic. So generally there's a prosthetist that is responsible for the prescription design and management of a prosthetic device. In most cases, they begin by taking a plaster cast, most commonly using plaster of Paris. Um, oh, okay. And they'll take a plaster cast of the par- of the patient's affected limb. Lightweight, high-strength thermoplastics are custom-formed to this model of the patient. Okay. Um, most modern artificial limbs are attached to the residual limb, which is colloquially called stumps. Mm. I don't know how kosher that is to say. I I've heard don't. I've pe- heard people on TikTok just with, say stump. They say stump. Yeah. <laughs> I connected to my stump. But um, they will be attached by belts and cuffs or by suction. Mm-hmm. Suction is most common. And to achieve suction, you'll basically put a, a, a stretchy cloth around the intersection in okay. order to keep it in place. Um, the residual limb either directly fits into a socket on the prosthetic or more commonly, oh, here we go, a liner is used that is then fixed to the socket either by vacuum or a pin lock. Liners are soft and they, and because of that, they create far better suction than hard sockets. So, yeah, basically measure the residual limb, measure the rest of the body to determine the size required, fit a silicone liner on it, create the liner worn over the residual limb Mm -hmm. um, for suction. They'll form a thermoplastic sheet around the model, which is used to test the fit of the prosthetic. Then they'll form the permanent socket. Yeah. Then they'll form the rest of the limb mm-hmm. and they'll create the metal parts of the artificial limb and then they'll put it all together and put it on your body and sometimes it still won't fit and you'll have to do it all over again well especially i want like do you have to like match like where the knee is 
on your other leg? Probably. That would be... Uh, it's like, it's such an exact science. Yeah. And there's... 3D modeling has been like a really helpful tool in the oh, past yeah. couple of years. And 3D printing also yeah. is, is really commonly used. So then there's also a method called osseointegration, where you literally attach the artificial limb to the body. Basically, they'll put a bolt, a titanium bolt into your body that your bone and your skin will grow around. And then they'll... And then the prosthetic oh, will... Attach uh, to the bolt. Attach to the bolt. And so you can still take it off. It's basically like a... You can take it off. It's just that you that now you do have, like, part of your body is made of t- titanium. Yeah. You don't get rid of the t- t- titanium. No. Well, people get titanium plates in their head and... Yeah, I think yeah. I think Richard has one in his wrist because he broke he it so badly. Yeah. Yeah. Not a fan of that. He doesn't like it. I, I wouldn't like it either. No. Either. But he's... I don't know. He's the Terminator now. So uh, this method of osseointegration is also sometimes referred to as exoprosthesis Ooh. or endoexoprosthesis. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, and there are some benefits to this method, which will include better muscle control of the prosthetic and the ability to wear the prosthetic for a longer period of time mm. uh, than the stump and socket method. In pretty much every case, the socket is going to get sore. Like, yeah. It, like having, wearing a prosthetic just hurts. Yeah. It just always does. At least your legs. I mean, that tracks. or Because there's so much weight on it. Especially if you have, like, one organic and one prosthetic leg. Yeah. You're going to end up... There's going to end up being some mismatch. Mm-hmm. And that hurts. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. Um, the main disadvantage of this method is that amputees with the direct bone attachment cannot have la- large impacts on the limb. So they mm-hmm. can't, like, jog. Because of the potential for the bone to break, because the titanium is stronger than it. That's ah okay. And then the like maybe the coolest thing that I want to talk about is called myoelectric prosthetics. Mm-hmm. And I need to turn off something. Go away, Discord. Oh, are you getting notifications? Yeah. So myoelectric myoelectric prosthetics. So far, we've been talking mostly about below the torso mm-hmm. um, prosthetics, and that's all very cool, but. You don't really have myoelectric prosthetics for below the torso, at least not yet, because it's so structural. Whereas with hands, these are fine motor skills. Yeah, and you're not putting weight on it. And you're not putting weight on it. So the development of hand prosthetics is actually significantly behind below torso prosthetics because it is technically easier to approximate a leg than it is an arm. Well, and it's also like... You can you can get by much easier, I feel like, without an arm than without a leg. I think so. Because, too. yeah, just because of, like, getting places. Mm-hmm. And also a lot of people with um, above elbow, I've seen where they just use the stump, essentially, mm-hmm. to, like, lean things on, and it's it seems yeah. useful. Right. Yeah. Uh, I had, I had, I believe it was my third grade teacher. She... Had like a hand amputation because mm. of cancer. Yeah. And I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast before, but I remember we were having a math lesson where we were ta- where we were talking about symmetry. And she was like, most people are symmetrical. Are you guys symmetrical? And we were like, yeah. And then she was like, am I symmetrical? And we were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My mom had a driver's ed teacher who at the start of every year in her high school would walk down the center like the first day. He was, he was an interesting fellow he would get very drunk during the school day Mm -hmm. he would walk down the center of like the class 
like down the desks, and he would unhook his prosthetic below the knee. Wow. He would unhook it so as he was walking, he would like drop that part of his leg. Yeah. And then he just kind of hopped to the front. And my mom said people were, like, screaming because it looked like a – he yeah. still had, like, his shoe well, on and, like, a sock, and it was, like, flesh-colored. And he swore everyone to secrecy, and he did it, like, every year. There was another person with prosthetic – oh, this doesn't even relate, really, except that Nicolas Cage in the film Moonstruck, for which Cher won a Best Actress Oscar, okay. he has a prosthetic hand, and it's just a wooden hand. Oh, okay. It, it's not articulated. It does yeah. not make use of myoelectrics. It's just a... Oh, just a like, wooden hand. Well, there's also... I don't think we've talked... Maybe you're going to talk about it. Like, cosmetic prosthetics. Like, you're missing your nose. They make, like, a flesh color. Yeah, that's a whole other industry. Yeah. I'm talking more, like, orthopedic. No, that's, like, that's totally fine. I just think it's interesting where it's like, oh, I don't have an ear. Well, now I have a silicone one. Mm-hmm. It just kind of stays there. Yeah, it's cool. So, myoelectric is the term used to describe electrical properties of muscles. A myoelectric-controlled prosthesis is an externally powered artificial limb that the amputee can control with the electrical signals generated by the muscles. There are just some insane ways that this operates. So, these are typically used for the hand, wrist, and elbow. Mm. All those things are available. And... Most myoelectric prostheses use existing muscles in the residual limb to control functions. Sensors fabricated in the, in the socket will receive electrical signals when specific muscles in the residual limb are activated. Okay. So there are instances where your residual limb will still have nerves that would have connected to your hand, yeah. and the prosthetic will sense those nerves. So you're using the same, the same pathways. Exactly. Um, that would be so... That would be such an odd feeling. And this can apparently help with, like, phantom limb syndrome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. And the, yeah, the sensors will relay information to a controller, which translates the data into commands for the electric motors to move the joints. So this is like an approximation of the brain. Yeah. (laughs) Versus joints. Well, and also the microprocessor is kind of a, in the knee, is kind of just just trying to, like, make the brain. Yeah. Did you think of this topic because of Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow? I did think of this topic because of Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow. Cool. Good book. There's a character in the very good book called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow who gets a prosthetic. Yeah. There is context. It's by Gabrielle Zevin. You should read it. <laughs> Maybe look up uh, content warnings first, though. Yeah, there's I some stuff like, in there. Yeah. yeah. But it's still, I still recommend it. And so the strength and speed of movements transmitted by the controller will be controlled by varying muscle intensity. For those with damage to nerves or muscles in the residual limb or for people with bilateral amputation, which means mm-hmm. that both your legs or both of your arms have been... Uh, amputated muscles in the chest or back can be used to direct movements of a myoelectric prosthesis man the brain's really cool yeah so if you just if you learn to use one of your other muscles yeah. and just think of it i mean of it, i'm sure your brain no it it's rewires plastic. Yeah, yeah it'll rewire if it sees that your hand is moving in response yeah. like it's it's so interesting well that's that happens too with um people like having to like learn to walk again after uh really complex like brain surgery or strokes you essentially just teach your brain because it's like wiped that part you teach your brain again how to use those muscles and that's why babies are always so confused (laughs) (laughs) well they're so but they're so good at learning yeah they're so good at it their brains are so plastic yeah brains are really cool there's a reason i wanted to do neuroscience for a bit yeah it's so cool I love when a ba- like when a kid like a toddler drops something and you can tell like that was not their intention. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even me sometimes I'll like my my 
hand will just move. Yes. Well, especially when because you're trying my, to hand something to someone. Yeah, my brain just hasn't quite figured it out. No, I don't think it ever will. That's kind of cool, though. I kind of like it. I, like, it means that there's still stuff going on in there. Mm-hmm. I don't um, know. It means you're not a robot? It means I'm not a robot. You want to be both a robot and also not a robot. I want to be the best of both worlds. Oh, <laughs> Hannah. Montana. Yeah. So one of the problems with myoelectric prosthesis is that while it is controlled by electricity generated by muscles, the system still needs a battery. Mm. So you have to, like, charge it. And then there is also a... Okay, I'm just going to read this paragraph and we'll work through it together. And buckle. There is a technique called targeted muscle reinnervation, which is the most sci-fi term in the world. TMR, in which motor nerves which would control muscles on an amputated limb are surgically rerouted to reinnervate a small region of a large intact muscle such as the pectoralis major. Okay. So rather than just taking information from a random nerve, it'll reroute the nerve in question to a bigger one. Because then there's more control? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, as a result, when a patient thinks about moving the thumb of his missing hand, a small area of muscle on his chest will contract instead. These contractions can be made to control movement of an appropriate part of the ro- robotic prosthesis. Mm. Yeah. By, yeah. Which is basically what we were talking about earlier. Have you seen how the muscle, when it... Have you ever seen the video about... I think it's actin in the muscle, how it, like, walks, essentially, oh. generating energy and burning ATP. It's so That's where cool. you get it. It's so, and it's also like ions and so complicated. It's whenever nerves. like I it's the fact that you can uh, reroute a nerve is just so crazy to me. They're like they're yeah. so small. Mm-hmm. So there are like huge strides that have been made in terms of getting your hand to react to your brain. Cool. It's harder to get your brain to react to your to the prosthetic hand. Mm. The feedback is a problem. And Got so it. that's what I was thinking of well, when you were talking tactile. about the person like getting the drawer out yeah. because the release mechanism wasn't triggered. Getting anything that touches your prosthetic hand to be triggered is is difficult. And yeah. getting like the right things to be triggered, whether it's something that's like too hot, that with us, if we pick up a, a cup of tea and it's really hot we know not to put it on our mouth yeah you're taking information in through your hands all the time yeah yeah so there even were like like slimy food even do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like when texture's off or mm-hmm. oh like a fire if you're trying to like touch a doorknob to see if you can leave a room yeah no yeah. like feedback is an important thing and in 2019 there was actually research done by people at the University of Utah, led by Jacob George. And what they did was they implanted electrodes into the patient's arm to map out several sensory precepts. Mm. They would then stimulate each electrode to figure out how each sensory precept was triggered, then proceeded to map the sensory information onto the prosthetic. So they were trying to reverse engineer an arm, basically. Um, This allowed the researchers to get a good approximation of the same kind of information that the patient would receive from their natural hand, but obviously the arm is way too expensive for any average user to acquire. If you're born without an arm, is it more difficult to get a prosthetic and learn how to use one of these intelligent prosthetics? Do you know what I mean? Oh, because you don't have anything to compare it to? Mm-hmm. 
It probably is, right? Oh, I'm really curious because I don't know how nerve formation works for somebody who doesn't have their entire limb. Because I know phantom limb pain can still be a thing, even if you've never had a limb. Oh, that's interesting. Well, because I'm also thinking about, like, people who are born without certain fingers. Like, do they still have the wiring for those fingers? Mm -hmm. I don't know. And, like, I I don't know the answer to that. That's fun. (laughs) So. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. And as far as cost, uh, basically, in the USA is a bad place. In in most other countries, particularly European countries, mm-hmm. prosthetics for disease uh, or accidents will get paid for by the government mm-hmm. or by workers' comp or whatever. Yeah. Uh, in the United States, that's not the case. A patient will typically pay... 10 to 50% of the total cost of a prosthetic limb Jeez. with insurance covering the rest. But limbs can cost up to $90,000. Yeah. Like, and you have to replace them every couple of years mm-hmm. because they get wor- worn and torn. And it's estimated that throughout one's life, a typical amputee will go through $1.4 million worth of treatment, including surgery, prosthetics, and therapy. Jeez. So I just, I just wanted to set that out there because I wanted to indict the USA. Yeah. And just describe that, like, there are certain disabilities, like, most disabilities aren't just a physical disability, they're mm-hmm. a financial one. That's very, very true. It sets you back in more ways than just the physically, like, being physically abled. Or mm-hmm. even, like, I feel like even, like, emotional disabilities. You're going to end up, do you know how much I pay for my freaking antidepressant because my insurance doesn't cover? Probably a lot. Yeah, it's just, and it's. It's not like a huge drain, but I cannot imagine that being amplified. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, it's. So it's a tough one. Being an, uh, being a person who's had an amputation, I really sympathize. I yeah. respect you deeply, but I, I don't presume to know these experiences. No. I just try to understand and help. Yeah. No, I think it's important to understand, like, where suffering exists so that you can alleviate when possible right and some of it's probably like i feel like a lot of these things with stuff like this there's no end state to this kind of like chronic issue for Mm -hmm. one's life Mm -hmm. and like i don't know just because there's no way to fix it completely doesn't mean we shouldn't like try to make it better yeah um also people with prosthetics Uh i i don't think that you are a threat to humanity what i don't i don't care what these Anti-transhumanists say. <laughs> I don't care. You should define transhumanist. Okay. Because it, it also kind of sounds like you're just like anti-trans. <laughs> or like you're like I'm pro-trans and like all these other folks. Um, tran- well, they have a logo? Apparently. Oh. Uh, transhumanism is a philosophical and intellectual movement which advocates the enhancement of the human condition by making widely available sophisticated technologies... That can greatly enhance longevity and cognition. Hmm. So basically transhumanists are like, yeah, we should improve the human race. Mm -hmm. And then anti-transhumanists are like, no, the human race is the way it is and we shouldn't change it. I feel like there should be a middle ground, which is like, unless all of this uh, technology is widely available and there is no financial... Backing, it would not be ethical to give a subset of the human race an advantage. Yeah, I don't think just rich people yeah. should get to be should get to have like like be really tall new or whatever. And improved humans. Yeah, that's uh, like 
like number one plot point from every sci-fi novel. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, we should jump together for sure. Sorry? Like you jump like we if if we Like you jump, I jump? Yeah, if we become new and improve, it should be everybody. It shouldn't yes. be just one person. I thought you were quoting Titanic. I mean I was. You and I, if it becomes a thing like you jump, I jump, you get you get crazy long toes or whatever. <laughs> I get crazy long well, that's toes. That's kind of how I feel. <laughs> If if long toes are are an improvement, you could grab things. Yeah, <laughs> this is, it's like an everything, everywhere, all at once alternative universe. Yeah. Um. So there are. I normally end my episodes with jokes. <laughs> no, but none for this no. one. No, 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 no. <laughs> halt. What does What does a prosthetic rental service do? They lend a hand. Okay, that's good. That's fine, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, that may be the only one that's fully kosher. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I'm just going to, I'll probably cut this one out. I, I sell prosthetics for children. I'm a small arms dealer. That one's funny. Is that all right? I don't. It's funny because their arms are little. Cause I feel kids. like I should edit this and then send it to somebody who has an amputated limb and then get it like checked off. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, it's free labor. I'm so worried. Yeah. Be like, oh, listen, I'll pay you. I shouldn't have chosen this? Maybe. I really didn't think about it being, like, something I'm not allowed to talk about until now. No, I think you're allowed to talk about it. I think you're fine. I truly think it's okay. I truly... I I don't think any less of anybody. And I don't want anyone else to think less of anybody. No, I think it's... I just think it's an interesting technology. I think as technology, it's very, very interesting. And I think, like, referencing the beginning, it's cool that people want... To make it so people can have, like, the full range of experiences or whatever within the confounds of society. Yeah. It also reminds me of the conversation about cochlear implants, Mm -hmm. like, whether or not people, deaf people should be getting cochlear implants. Yes. Yeah. Um, Because, like, if assimilation is the end goal, Mm -hmm. then that's a problem. But also, like, my mom needed, wanted to get a cochlear implant so that she could hear and then she did, and it helped, and we were able to communicate with her better. And yeah. I, her life was better for the cochlear implant. Yeah. So that is, that's an experience that I can refer to. I think and the biggest thing for me is, did the person have a choice? Yeah. And that makes it sticky with kids and cochlear implants for sure. Yeah. But, like, did especially with people without limbs who need or desire prosthetics, I don't know. It's up to you. And I also think... The world simply is not accessible, so I am not in a position to judge anyone for what they choose to use or not use. Right. And I think as long as, like... And we as a society should be trying to make the world more accessible for people at a base level. And in some ways, like, one of the ways to do that is through prosthetics. And also, why not? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Where it's one of those, like, I see people, like, get upset that, like, People with disabilities are bringing up things that are issues in the world with, like, how, like, they navigate society. And it's like, why not make it better for everyone? Like, a ramp doesn't hurt anyone, you know? An elevator working is ultimately a good. A bus being lower means everyone can get on easier. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I learned a lot. So I was glad that I researched this. If anybody has had an amputation... Yeah. And they disagree with what they've heard on here. I invite I invite you to contact me. <laughs> yeah, you can email us. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I'd, I'd like, love to I, hear I, more I want to be as sensitive as possible, yeah. truly. So. I don't know. Like, there's no, there is, I, I think it would be insensitive to say, like, oh, you have a prosthetic. Like, you're, ju- you're fine, basically. Like, they are complicated pieces of technology that are not perfected. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well. Um, I have something. It, this It's not um, humans. Okay. But, like, cats and dogs that have amputated limbs, and they, mm-hmm. like, give them the little, like. Wheels. Yeah. It's basically a prosthetic. It's attached it to yeah. them, and it facilitates movement. Also, there was a study done with ants to determine uh, if these ants, so they live in the Sahara Desert, so they can't lay pheromone trails because the wind blows it away, Mm -hmm. because it blows the sand away. Mm -hmm. And these ants, the question was, how do they know where to go? And uh, so they were, the hypothesis was they count their steps. So some ants, they amputated all of their limbs. They were a little bit shorter. Some, Some ants, they gave prosthetics on each leg, like they glued tiny little like <laughs> sticks to their legs to make them a little bit taller mm-hmm. and then some ants were controlled they were just their legs were unmodified yeah and they trained these ants before they did these modifications they trained this colony to basically like know where a food source was that was mm-hmm. stable and so they'd always go back and forth to it and then they did these modifications and the ants with the prosthetics went too far the ants with the amputations did not go far enough and the control group was able to make it to the food source. That's really interesting. Yeah. So these ants literally count their steps. It was just, it's cool. I don't, I. Whose and, job is it to glue prosthetics to an ant? An undergrad, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. Or a research tech. Bless the techs. Bless the techs? Yeah. Okay, we got to end. I've even seen turtles we, I, with the little wheels. That's It's cute. It's, I, I don't know prosthetics nice. are good in the world. Or butterflies. Have you seen when some like a butterfly loses a piece of their wing and they glue like a piece of feather or another butterfly like that has already passed wing mm-hmm. and then the butterfly can fly. Mm-hmm. It's just nice. It's just nice. I think. I think they're an ultimate good. I, I think so. <laughs> now you're conflicted. I'm so conflicted. Don't be conflicted. I think And this if is I'm positive. conflicted on Mike, I don't I don't want to seem performative. Oh, I get what you mean. Yeah. Because I'm going to can... release it anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm i doing my best in the world. You are. This was really interesting. I think Good. if our listeners want to mo- learn more, you do you worried. have cool sources? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll link them. Sweet. They'll be on our website? Yeah. How do you how do you get to our website? BeMoreSpecific.org. I always say it wrong, so I'm just relying on you here. But yeah. Uh, Follow us at BeMoreSpecificPod. On Instagram. On Instagram. And we have, we'll post... Um, we'll post some Im- images and then also some sources yeah. so that you can like learn more and also some charities that you can donate to if yeah. this moves you. If this moves you. Yeah. To the left a couple feet. To the left just a couple feet. Thank uh, you for listening and I hope you have a stellar day. Also, wait, the TH, the STH yeah. sound is difficult. <laughs> Aesthetic, prosthetic. Yeah, no, it's a difficult word. Say that 10 times fast. I dare you. Prosthetic, prosthetic. No, aesthetic, prosthetic. Aesthetic, prosthetic, aesthetic, prosthetic. I I started rolling my R's. Aesthetic, prosthetic, aesthetic, prosthetic. You know, a girl wants one thing, and that thing is an aesthetic prosthetic.